0: Support for this podcast is provided by ThatCast Creative. Brand your business and connect with your audience by creating a custom podcast. Learn more at ThatCast.com. I actually would pick Portland any day of the week uh, over any other place around the country for raising capital, mainly because uh, the capital here is really meant as supportive capital for entrepreneurs and helping the business community thrive. So as a part of that evolution, we won the Seattle Angel Conference, um, got invited to do a fast pitch with um, the Oregon Venture Fund. Now it used to be called something different, but um, and went to that fast pitch and got introduced to a lot of the local networks here in Portland. And one of the things that I really appreciated is that there's a sense of deal sharing here. Obviously they're competitive because each fund is different and each organization is different, but there was a lot of, wow, this is great. Are you going to think about doing your Series A? What does that look like? Let us help you walk through what a Series A actually would feel like and look like for your organization and the pros and cons. So there was a lot of education as a part of that network.
1: Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to the PDX Executive Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Bruton. On today's episode, we have Ali Magyar, the founder and CEO of Hub. Thanks for being on the show.
0: Thanks for hosting me. I'm excited to be here.
1: And, you know, events is very near and dear to my heart because that's my background as event management. I run a small series of conferences in town. So, like, your software, your tools to manage events, it's like... I just want to learn so much about it, but <laughs> let's start kind of the, um, if you don't mind telling about yourself, kind of the origin story of you founding this company.
0: Sure. Well, events are near and dear to my heart as well. Um, I have been an entrepreneur since I was 18, so it's 20, almost 21 years wow. this year. Um, so my first company I started because I had a love and a passion for street racing. Uh, and so I, that I'm one of the reasons like why- illegal street racing? Like illegal street racing, Yeah. <laughs> I'm one of the reasons why on Broadway there's no cruising signs and no one knows what that means in this day and age. But back in the day, that used to be the place. Um, So I ended up throwing car shows because I really loved that entire scene. So I started with one here at the Clark County Fairgrounds locally. Uh, One grew to two, grew to four, grew to ten over six years all around the country. So I really cut my teeth on what it meant to be a trade show producer. And I would basically do everything myself during the week. Floor plans by hand with pencils and rulers, and uh, and then on the weekends would go produce these events, and all my friends would get on planes and fly with me all over the country. So. Wow. That was my first uh, sort of foray into events that I absolutely loved. Um, but all good things eventually come to an <laughs> end. So uh, I found myself uh, after success for six years um, really failing pretty miserably. So mm. in events uh, with those types of shows, everything is your gate. So right. you know, who comes day of? So, if you end up having an event that is on a really sunny day, a prom, a concert, and your gate goes down, uh, your profit goes down mm. quite a bit too. So, I ended up at 24 years old uh, being 100 grand in debt on lines of credit and wow. thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. And that was really a turning point for me to think about what I wanted to do next.
1: So, and then tell me about the history of you also owned a company dynamic events are yeah. still involved so how is that transition from you know there to getting into more I guess, B2B kind of corporate events, is that right?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I took my love of events and went to work at dynamic events up in Redmond, Washington. Uh, Within 18 months, had really taken over, it was about a 17-person company, had really taken over sales and marketing and driving that company forward. Um, So I went to the owner and told her that she could either sell to me or that I would leave and take the customers with me. (laughs) Ultimatum, I I like it, I like that. Um, So she really wasn't an entrepreneur, so she sold to me. So as a part of that... um, I started over from scratch, so it was just me. Uh, People didn't have the same vision that I had for where I wanted to take the company, sort of the passion that I had for the company. And so I really started to grow that company in corporate events, so B2B events, Mm -hmm. mainly in the technology sector. So um, I grew up planning and managing some of the world's largest technology conferences for companies like Microsoft. And through that process, it used to be, and you can probably relate to this after being in events for a long time, technology used to be fax machines. <laughs> and that was the best technology yeah. that we had access to. Uh, and as I joined, you know in a, a professional services company, it's all about your people, right? So you have to think about how do you make your people more efficient? How can you scale them better? And especially working in technology events, I was watching their technology to scale people and processes. And so I decided to bite the bullet and in Twenty twelve decided to build software that helped my team scale in some of the most complex parts of an event, which is around the sessions, the speakers, the sponsors, collecting all that information, managing it, and then marketing it
1: out. Right. So you weren't a software developer, right? I was not. But you had this vision. So how did you go about um, kind of teaming up with people to to create that?
0: Yeah. You know, for me, working in corporate high tech, Mm -hmm. I was surrounded by a lot of really great. Technology minds. Um, So, as I decided that I wanted to build this software, someone I had worked with within Microsoft uh, said, "Hey, I'll leave, start a consulting company, I'll build this first version of the product for you." That's convenient, Uh, and it was it was very convenient. So, you know, using uh, using your network, using the people that are around you, people that you trust. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I had the know-how. I knew exactly what I needed, how it needed to function, how it would market, um, and then relied on his name's Chris Johnson. It's fun evolution. He's now on our board. Awesome. Um, but he helped us to build the technology behind it. Um, so for about 18 months, he helped us in getting that first product into market. And then he actually um, went back to being the head of Microsoft Office Development um, mm-hmm. after he built that first version. And we brought everything in-house.
1: Great. So you know, you, you started it. It was still kind of under this umbrella of dynamic mm-hmm. events, right? So when did you decide to kind of spin it out and, and look for for funding, because yeah, um, you've raised two rounds of funding. Is that right? We have, and it's it's public, right? I yeah. think, is it six million or ten million? Um, you've raised, yeah, okay, total and, of just over ten. Okay, great. So is that is your Series B? So yeah, can you tell me kind of it's like okay. I want this to be a standalone company and really go all in on this.
0: Yeah, it was an interesting dilemma because um, as a services CEO, you could either make the choice to be a technology-enabled services company and have a unique value proposition, um, or you could split the company separately. And I think for me, in 2012 is when we started to build the product, and we used it for about three years inside of the company. And I looked at the companies, and I thought, you know, really, with what's going on in our industry, I could continue to bootstrap this but a software company scales at a very different rate than a professional services right. organization. And with a background in events, I understood the need globally in, in events of a software for it like this. And so for me, it was a decision of, you know, I can grow this other company at a much faster rate. I understand our audience, I understand the pain points. And if I put fuel on the fire right now, the industry opportunity is huge. And so I decided to look at what that meant, But I've always been a bootstrapped entrepreneur, so I had no idea what a cap table meant. I had no idea what fundraising meant. Uh, So it was like getting my MBA in about six months as I really started to explore how to fund an early stage startup.
1: And how'd you do that? You know,
0: for me, uh, I sort of jump in with both feet. I think that's part of the event side of me is just tackling any problem in front of me. Uh, But what I started to do is I tried to learn about the industry and uh, what uh, venture capital looked like, what angel investment looked like, and just did a lot of research online, but then also looked at the opportunity to participate in things like the Seattle Angel Conference. So I was on a plane. I saw the Seattle Angel Conference was having a competition. The deadline was the very next day. And so I emailed them and I said, hey, if I apply and I get everything in by tomorrow, can I compete? Because I really want to get this thing off the ground. And they said, there's no way you'll be able to turn everything in. Why don't you do it in the fall? And I'm like, you don't know me. You don't know my events background. I'm organized. <laughs> yeah. um, so we did. We uh, we submitted and we ended up going, I think there were several hundred companies that applied and we ended up winning first place. Wow. And through that process, you know, they're very engaged in helping entrepreneurs to be able to grow. And so through that process of needing to be able to Pitch in 60 seconds, pitch in three minutes, pitch in 10 minutes, and then consistently getting feedback from angels that have either been founders or CEOs themselves or have ran major companies or maybe are a part of venture capital that feedback and that questioning process really helped me to start to understand not only sort of how to participate in uh, angel investment but also how to think bigger for my company and how right. to really think about the scaling of a SaaS business versus a services business.
1: And then so how did you um as far as that was your first kind of foray into pitching and winning yeah. a you know a competition and then how did it kind of snowball into getting a series A or Sure. A lot of, you know, people say, hey, we're in Vancouver, you're in Vancouver here, or Portland, the investment community is smaller mm-hmm. here. So how'd you kind of go about that? And-
0: it's smaller, but more supportive. I actually would pick Portland any day of the week uh, over any other place around the country for raising capital, mainly because... Uh, The capital here is really meant as supportive capital for entrepreneurs and helping the business community thrive. So as a part of that evolution, we won the Seattle Angel Conference, um, got invited to do a fast pitch with um, the Oregon Venture Fund. Now it used to be called something different, Mm -hmm. but, um, and went to that fast pitch and got introduced to a lot of the local networks here in Portland. And one of the things that I really appreciated is that there's a sense of deal sharing here. Obviously they're competitive because each fund is different and each organization is different. But there was a lot of, wow, this is great. Are you going to think about doing your Series A? What does that look like? Let us help you walk through what a Series A actually would feel like and look like for your organization and the pros and cons. So there was a lot of education as a part of that network. And a lot of, you know, you should talk to this person or this person, a lot of connecting of mentors for me that helped me to feel really comfortable with the decision of doing a Series A Mm -hmm. and also feeling very supported in the process. So at the point where we, competed in the Ben Venture Conference later on in that year. Uh, we won first place in the Bend Venture Conference and announced our Series A at the same time, being funded by local uh, Portland groups here, and then also some from Bend as well. So it very much was a supportive journey that I feel like Portland really thrives in education and support of early stage entrepreneurs to help you to understand which paths and which options you have.
1: It's such a theme here. It's mm-hmm. it, interesting as I've been doing these podcasts, and want, someone I just had on mentioned, If you're like in the Bay Area and you have a startup idea, you got a coffee shop, and you're talking to someone, you might kind of be a little quiet. You don't want anybody hear. But here, (laughs) Vancouver, Portland, you're loud. You don't care. Someone might come over. Like no one's going to steal your idea. It's more about they want to help. Yes, want to help. So I love that theme. So you you raised your Series A and. Let's get into kind of what uh, the platform and tools do. Sure. I mean, this is kind of me geeking out yeah. a little bit. <laughs> but <laughs> I guess, how did it, what, were, what was the main tool? start? I know it's you've developed to, to different, different things for mm-hmm. helping for events, but how did it start? What was the main kind of...
0: Yeah. You know? Well, I really came up with the idea for this product because I was managing an event for Microsoft. And the night before this event, it was a few thousand people, the business owner called me and said, hey, I've changed up the entire agenda for tomorrow. All the speakers and sessions, you need to fix it and reprint everything. Thing before tomorrow at 6 a.m. when everyone Sounds shows up. Sounds familiar oh, in yeah. mass, <laughs> I'm <yeah>. sure. <laughs> and it's like 8 p.m., right? Yeah. Um, and so they kept sending me spreadsheet after spreadsheet. They couldn't figure out what version they were on and they kept forwarding me all these emails from random people that I had to just go through this huge volume of information and then at you know, 2, 3 o'clock in the morning when I'm finally ready to print everything, the copiers are breaking. So now I'm literally pulling out pieces of the copier covered in ink trying to get everything printed. So for me, the need was always about simplifying the business process of collecting managing and marketing all of your event content so whether that's your speakers your sessions your sponsors there's a massive amount of data transfer that happens because in events once you have all of that you have to put it on your website you have to put it in your mobile app you have to print it you have to have it in your registration site so there's usually eight to ten different locations that every time something changes you're back to which version of my spreadsheet am I on right and so for me it was about building a tool that's simple that process and served as a single source of truth that that connected through the API economy to any of the other platforms that you needed to share that information on.
1: Yeah. You're preaching here. I <laughs> love it. It's, uh, so, I mean, some of these, your initial clients were, you know, these big enterprise clients, Yeah. but you have tools for kind of smaller meetings we and do. things too. So, yeah. um, talk about those, but also maybe talk about if you, what you can share what's next for the platform, next for the company.
0: Definitely. Yeah, Yeah, you know, our tools sort of, um, we've expanded on our tools over the years where I think in events, there's an underserved market for the really complex workflows that happen. So uh, sessions, speakers, and sponsors as one element, but then also taking it a step further of, you know, at any B2B event, you're meeting with your executives, meeting with your experts and the complex workflow that goes behind submitting requests, managing calendars and staffing. So we really have focused on the unique, um, complex workflows behind events to automate those because it's an underserved market where people oftentimes focus more on the flashy mobile apps or attendee experiences but miss the value behind the true marketing content that powers events. So, for us, you know, the last couple of years have really been focused on building out those business process automation tools um, across a suite of different products. But as we think about what's next for the events industry, meeting managers aren't business analysts. They aren't data analysts. And so a lot of times people are collecting massive amount of data, but they don't know what to do with it. And it's every CMO's problem trying to figure out how to create more relevant content, better quality content that moves people through the sales funnel on site at events. So for Hub, our next evolution is really focused on global event management and being able to use machine learning and AI on top of that data so that now you have a single portal where if they're speaking at a series of 10 events, a speaker can log in. They've got all 10 events in one place. But also the beauty of that is that the event manager has all the data in one place. Right. So now we can start to predict who are your best speakers on which topics to which audiences, how do we use sentiment and keyword analysis to create better titles and abstracts that creates that engagement? How can we forecast evaluation results to be able to create more relevant mm-hmm. content? So there's a lot that we're doing to help the event management community to actually make data analysis and intelligence easier for them to really make an impact in that marketing portfolio of moving sales forward.
1: I love that. you know, and it's still- a very one-to-one it's a high-touch process so mm-hmm. the, the tools that can help with that collaboration is just let's get rid of spreadsheets yes like, spreadsheets and
0: email my, death to them it's my <laughs> life
1: um well, let's, let's kind of turn back to you know again we're downtown vancouver and mm-hmm. uh, a lot going on here as far as startups and you know just around the corner i interviewed the founders from Slumberkins, we were mm-hmm. talking about you got discover org how has uh the community here been i, I know you'll Portland's kind of our sister city where you're at. Um, Again, I'm sure it's been supportive, but do you – kind of stay in touch with them, or how? With, collaborate, or can you talk about that?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think it goes back to your comment of the coffee shop where people are quiet yeah. uh, versus here. It's all about empowering other startups. So, uh, you know, Realware is also based here. and yeah. They've had a lot of traction as well. And so there's just a lot of knowledge sharing, a lot of, hey, when I was at your stage, this is what I did, and being able to pass that along to other entrepreneurs we really don't find the competitive nature here of I'm not gonna share because maybe you're gonna outperform me. Yeah. I think there's much more of a collaboration, specifically amongst the founders as well, to help encourage and support growth. I think a lot of us have a lot of passion for building up the Vancouver-Portland area yeah. and really making it a great place for entrepreneurs and for startups to thrive. And so there is a lot of community involvements on both sides of the river.
1: And uh, talent-wise, it's a great place, I assume, for yeah. you. For you. Uh, You have an awesome new office here. You moved in January. So can you share how many folks are here?
0: Yeah. So in this office, we have um, about 50 people that are here. We'll probably grow that to around 65 by the end of the year. So increasing a little bit. Um, But that's much better than we've hired about 17 people over the last couple of months. Oh,
1: wow. (laughs) OK.
0: There's been some pretty rapid growth with uh, closing our Series B and really thinking about how we scale the company. And
1: are you already still in fundraising mode or kind of...
0: No, thank God. (laughs) Um, You know, our Series B was a really um, impactful moment for us, but we raised the right amount of money that really helps to give us that runway of really thinking about what we're going to do over the next three years um, before we sort of make that next transition, whatever that may be.
1: Great. Well, last thing I want to mention is you were just recognized... um for Portland Business Journal, 2019 Women of Influence. Congratulations. Thank you. It's a great list of uh, leaders here in the area. Uh, What does that recognition mean? And can you talk about just? you know, getting that recognition.
0: Of course. Yeah, it is very meaningful. You know, I think the most impactful thing for me as a woman founder is that only 2% of venture capital funding goes to women. And there is a lot of opportunity to change the conversation. And so for me, it's a personal passion to really support a minority and underrepresented entrepreneurs as they're going through their journey, uh, whether that is helping to mentor other early stage startups or being mentored by other women that have successfully done the venture capital route Um, and so that that award is definitely meaningful mainly because of the other women that are a part of that list that are continuing on the same path of empowerment and really helping our community to thrive and to change that conversation around women in business
1: yeah well congratulations again on that so uh folks can find you it's hub.me it is is right yeah and thanks so much for being on the show Allie I appreciate it Thanks so much for listening to the show. I'm Dan Bruton, and you've been listening to the PDX Executive Podcast. Original music was composed for this episode by Levi Downey. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts.